joy and pleasure and sorrow and grief are all waves on the same ocean, mm. right? We've just got to ride the waves. And yeah. some of the waves are longer than others. Some are higher, some are more calm, but they're all waves on the same ocean. Like grief is going to come the same way that joy comes. Welcome back. You're listening to Let It Out with me. I'm your host, Katie Dalebout. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening. It genuinely means so much to me. I love hosting this podcast for so many reasons. And this week's episode is different than the usual. It was a live recording that we did at the Assemblage in New York City. And today's guest is one of the rare repeat guests. We have Claire Fountain, who is a therapist in training, a yoga teacher, one of the smartest people I know. We talk about social media extensively in this. We talk about body image. We talk about wellness and reframing that word. We talk about self-care. And then it's a conversation. There's questions from the people who are there live, which is really cool. And this episode isn't just my interview with Claire. It's also an interview with Sarah, the founder of Vertruvi, which is my favorite brand of essential oils. They are this wonderful company based out of Canada, owned by a brother and sister. And I couldn't be happier that... They are one of the sponsors for this week's episode. I love their diffusers and their essential oils, and they have so many beautiful products. And most of all, I really loved Sarah. You'll hear my conversation with her at the end of this week's episode. I think you'll really love her and... Check out her products, Vitruvi. You can get 20% off with the code Let It Out if you want to check out the products that I love so much. I hadn't used a diffuser before, and now I do. And you'll hear why in the interview, because their diffusers are really different than anything else out there. And anyway, you'll get to that. But enjoy this live conversation with Claire. I will be doing an event at the end of this month. I'm going to be at the Emerge Music Festival. I'm so excited, you guys. It's in Las Vegas, and we're doing a Let It Out Little Space Lounge. Do you remember the app, the digital wellness app, Little Space? I have worked with them before on this podcast. They're one of our amazing sponsors. All the sponsors end up becoming my friends. And Kim, who is the founder of Little Space, and I became friends and met. And turns out we're doing a lounge, a digital wellness lounge at this music festival. And I'm going to be interviewing the artists there. And it's just going to be really cool. So I'd love for you guys to come to that. I'm going to be doing another event in New York City on June 13th. If you're around, I'd love for you to come. It's at the Hoxton Hotel in Williamsburg. 
more information on that to come. I hope to see you in person really soon. And I love you guys. I'll talk to you at the end of this episode with the likes and learns segment where I share briefly this week, because this is a long one, something I've been liking and something I've been learning and the emoji for this week's episode. So stick around and enjoy this week's conversations. I love Cara Vitamins. I've been using them for a very long time and they're just my favorite. You go to their website, you take a little quiz, it tells you which vitamins and supplements are right for you and then it sends them to your door in beautiful packaging, personalized with your name on it, which I just think is really great. They're so easy for on the go. You just stick them in your bag. They're great for travel. And you know, with the winter blues coming to an end, it's finally time to get back into a routine that empowers you to feel your best. Give yourself support this new season with a boost of whatever you're looking for. Maybe it's more energy. Maybe it's better sleep. Maybe it's to help lessen your stress or it's something else to make you feel your best care of has all of your needs they even have these new protein powders which i'm loving they have this plant-based one that i've been putting in my smoothies and i think you guys would really like it too to get 30 percent off your first month of personalized care of vitamins visit takecareof.com and enter the code katie 30 again that's katie k-a-t-i-e 3030. And this is good for the remainder of the year. So go ahead and get your care of vitamins. Again, that's 30% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins. Visit takecareof.com and enter the code Katie 30 at checkout. I love care of, and I really think you will too. Welcome to the let it out podcast live recording. Thank you so much for coming. This is really cool. Thank you to The Assemblage for having us. Again, I recorded a podcast here in January and it was such a great vibe. It was really cool to have people eavesdropping live. When I record, it's usually one-on-one. And today's guest, Claire, has been a guest before on this podcast. And the last time recorded... It wasn't just us. It was you, me, and Duke. Duke the dog had played a big role in our podcast. I think we moved, we started in your living room and then we moved to your bedroom, which was lovely and cozy. You took a very pink, you have a pink light in your bedroom, which is lovely. And you took a photo of me. I did. It's a a dope photo. It was a dope photo. Thank you. It was a great photograph. Um, Good picture. I feel like my back is to you guys. So... Anyway, Claire's obviously done this podcast before and it was so great that I wanted to have her back and we were on a panel together this summer. We were just trying to figure out when it was, judging by the weather, it was warm, but that could have been fall for all we know. But anyway, we had such a great conversation about social media and being a person in the world and I've been excited to talk to you on the record and off the record ever since. So thank you for coming back. Thank you. No, I had a wonderful time and I think we covered like some really important stuff and I'm pretty much an open book. So yeah. it's nice to kind of see what is this? It's almost a year, yeah. more than a year later. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Just the evolution of thought, like the evolution of like you, me, everything, yeah. where we are, what's going yeah. on in the same areas again, social exactly. media, yeah. being human out here. Yeah. 
All right, we've got we've got a lot to get through. Yeah. So if people want to hear Claire's story and your background, we'll have you go back and listen to that episode that came out about a year ago. And I'll put in the, the link in the show notes. But in the meantime, just so everyone here right now gets the gist of you, I'm going to ask you to do the thing. I apologize up front. The thing that I hate doing as a freelancer who does a bunch of things. But what do you say to someone you meet in a Uber pool or on an elevator or what's a place you like meet some on a plane? What when someone's well, like, I "Hey, mean, what yeah. do you do? Who are you? Meet, what is your? Uh, what do you say?" Of meeting people, I went to see my mother for Easter. Mm-hmm. I'm from the South. I grew up in Mississippi, of all places. Oh, that can be a whole podcast in itself, but. I was with my mother and like, that's the thing where everybody asks because they haven't seen me in probably, oh my God, 2004, 15 years. What? So they're like, what are you doing now? You hadn't been back to Mississippi in 15 years? I, I have been for like a day or two. Yeah. So probably less than five times. Wow. And yeah. so you hadn't seen like your family's friends. Yeah. I've seen my family. We just meet up other places. Right, right, right. It's nice to do that. But yeah, when people would be like, so, so what are you doing now? Because they all, I mean, a small town, it's like gossipy. They all want to know, like, is she a doctor or a lawyer or something we can't talk about? Like, it's just gossipy. So I'm just like, yeah, like I'm in wellness and I do a lot with mental health. And like, I leave it at that now. But when I get to tell everybody else what I do, it is like, I'm technically in wellness. It started off as being like a yoga teacher. I worked with a lot of athletes and musicians, et cetera, every brand you can probably imagine and had a very unconventional approach to yoga in a sense. I feel like it's, it's terrible that I have to say it's unconventional because I believe it's open for everybody, which is not revolutionary at all. But you see how yoga is portrayed. There's a stigma and a stereotype of who does it, who is available, like who it is available to, to practice, not to be redundant there, but like who is able to come to the practice and that's not how it should be. So really an unconventional approach to yoga. And now I've moved into more so an unconventional approach to wellness as a whole in counseling psychology to get my license. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. So when will you be done with that? Uh, about a year. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you use the word wellness several times. And yeah. as you know, that is a word that I've used for years mm-hmm. and I have a complicated relationship to that word now and to the point where I'm, I have an aversion to it. Like yeah, I love well, it, but I also well, it's become really trite. Right. So what is your definition of, of wellness? I'm, I'm trying to use the word well-being more. Well, I because, use that more when I talk about mental health, okay. like your well-being. Yeah. But wellness is technically, because we use this in the psychology space too, like the term wellness is not some newfangled word, even right. though it has been completely oversaturated and super mm-hmm. saturated and all sorts of writing that's been been done now. But I look at it as like the optimal physical, emotional, psychological, occupational functioning of a person. Like it's the optimal space for you, which means it's open to variations. It's quite subjective. So it's what works for you. There's not a one size fits all. And that in wellness can't be one size fits all. So I just think it's the optimal space for any of those verticals within your life. Like think Mm -hmm. about your life as a table, right? And you have legs. You have like your job career leg. You have like your family relationships leg. You have, you know, your health leg. You have all the other things like the legs. And if any leg, or, or you can look at them as buckets of water, right? And if any leg is docked off or not at full functioning capacity, your table's not balanced. Yeah. Same thing with your buckets of water, right? If some of them are empty or not full, you're going to be off kilter. I think about that a lot in terms of, because that's what we're all, that's where the word balance comes from is mm-hmm. trying to have all those legs healthy or have all of those buckets equally filled. Mm-hmm. But I think that balance is a myth. I think that I would it's, agree. 
it's impossible to have all of the legs at the same level all of the time or all of the buckets filled. We only have so much water. The bucket analogy works better for this. We only have so much water. Mm -hmm. So when you realize that one leg isn't great, how do you remember to to pivot or what do you do? Yeah. I mean, it's like a course in, in awareness, right? Like just paying attention, which is, that is kind of the most simple way I can define when people are like, what is mindfulness? And I'm like, pay attention, like just pay attention. It's the same thing with relationships. How do you have a good relationship? Pay attention. And if you think paying attention is hard, then you will think relationships are hard, you know? But it's the same thing. Like, do you think mindfulness is difficult? It's like, well, can you pay attention? And so it's just taking, being able to take a step back and say, okay, well, this part is going really well. And maybe this one isn't like, what can I do? Or maybe what do I not want to do? Like, maybe it's okay where it is. Cause I think we're also in like this whole culture, especially with this whole wellness culture of doing more and needing to do more and needing to do all the things when really you can go, nah, it's, I don't, I don't do that much there and it's okay. Yeah. yeah. I like that definition of wellness. And I think what's most problematic about that term is that it's being hijacked and it's being associated with dieting so much. And I think yoga where really it's, those things are useful and, and interesting. And I like, you know, I say this all the time, but like, I like a green juice and a $20 smoothie as much as the next guy. However, that's not wellness. Wellness at its whole is all of those things combined and mental wellness and relationships and creativity. So. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's not really a question, just like something I'm I'm wrestling with. Well, I think also with social media, there's a lot of things that look a certain way that aren't. Like there's a lot of things that look like empowerment that really aren't. And we have to be really skeptical and really suspicious of things that look a way that aren't. Like there's a lot where we go, oh, you know, slim woman on beach with green juice. Oh, that's wellness. Like it looks like it is, but it isn't, or it might not be. Maybe that's Mm -hmm. a better way to put it because no blanket statements here. But I think we just have to be skeptical of like what we perceive as something and what it might not be. Yeah. Let's, let's get into that. We'll go back. I'm going out of order of what I thought, but the- You have a lot of questions. I do. That's right. This is a long long I was not allowed to look at these. I grabbed her paper and she was like, no. I like to be fresh, you guys. I want to be fresh. The panel we were on this summer we was about social media, I think. I've, I've kind of no recollection about it, but I just remember everything you said was like, went right in. It was really potent to really? me. Thank yeah. you. I just remember you really liking the sparkling coconut water. Oh, it was very And good. in between the comments, she'd be like, this is delicious. I think I maybe like, leaned into the fact so that it was, it was sponsored by them. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I was so just trying excited. to be, or I was very thirsty. Unclear. It's delicious. It is though. very good. Yeah. Non-sponsored today, but yeah, open no, to it. No plug. <laughs> so it was something in along the lines of social media and digi- and I've been thinking a lot about digital wellness and digital wellness boundaries mm-hmm. and you have a interesting you're an interesting person to talk about this because you're in the process of becoming a clinician mm-hmm. studying this and also someone who is a influencer in every sense of the word and a person who has their career tied in social media. So I would love to talk about how social media impacts our health because I was just, I heard on another podcast, someone saying how they were saying how a therapist in 20 years will look at them and be like, oh my God, you were on Twitter as kind of like looking at a doctor who smokes being like, oh my God, you smoke? Like that's so bad for you and your doctor. So 
we don't know the effects of social media of our addiction to our phone mm-hmm. will have on us mental health wise. And so I would love like, what are you learning about that? And then also I've had so many clinicians talking. I've talked to clinicians about my relation, complicated relationship with social media and my phone who just don't understand it because they're maybe in their seventies or just don't use social media for work. So part of why I'm going into the space. Right. Which is so important. I'm working on a piece right now about um, mental health and stuff for actually for influencers or people whose businesses and lives are on the internet. Where do we sign up? Called like take your life back. Great. Like fix your shit. So you don't have to put it all on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Where where do you want to start with this one? It's huge. And what do you, how do you define your complicated relationship with social media? Hmm. Well, Brene Brown said this thing that really resonated with me where she said that social media is a communication tool, not a connection tool. Yeah. Which I really, and which I really like and, and resonate with. I think my complicated relationship with it is, you know, sometimes I'll post something that feels so authentic and in the moment and like what I'm actually feeling and it feels Mm -hmm. good to put that out there. And then the reaction to it is like nothing. And I'm like, oh shit, man. Like, but I don't Mm -hmm. care because I felt so good about it and that's fine. But then there's other things where I'm like feeling kind of iffy about and the reaction is amazing. I'm like, okay, cool. But then there's something I'm feeling the same way about kind of iffy and the reaction is nothing. And I'm, that makes me feel terrible. So it's just like, it depends. It's all about, like you said, it's all about the state I'm in. Like comedians talk about like using the mic as therapy. Mm-hmm. I think being, I don't know, it's, it's, you're right. It's all about how yeah. I'm, if I'm in a really good spot, it doesn't shake me. If I'm in a complicated spot, it does. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's how most anything would be, right? Like if social media didn't exist and you went into a job and you weren't feeling so hot that day and someone was like, totally. ugh. God, your hair, did you change something? You know, like one of those where it's not an insult, but it's not a compliment either. Like when people you go, look oh, tired. You, yeah, you look tired. I used to get asked all the time, you're sad. What are you sad about? And I'm like, I have resting sad face. Just let me be. This is just how I look. I have genetically dark circles. Just let me, just let me live. But yeah, then it'll make you sensitive about something you might not have been sensitive about. But it depends on like where you are internally that day. But yeah, I mean, social media, the thing is you just can't let it have any sort of weight being the quote unquote influencer space, right? Like there's a lot of people that are going to see this stuff, which means it comes with a lot of negative feedback to some extent too. And not so much negative for me, but super sexualized and super objectified as like a woman in the space, which I've been like toying around with all that for years and have come away with massive findings about what people really want to see and it's skin. So (laughs) that's what we've learned. Even even like hetero cis women want to see skin. It's like bodies. Like we, and I don't know if that feels more vulnerable for people. I'm still exploring what I'm going to write when I finally finish this whole thing. But being in that space, it's like I know, putting myself out there was like an act of like I I really don't care what the feedback is because I like what I'm doing. Right? If I think something is pretty or beautiful or insightful or could be helpful then I'm okay with it. But it's like you can't care if it's going to... You almost have to put it out knowing it could get no likes. No one will see this. It's like creating music and knowing no one will hear it. But are are you creating it for other people? Are you creating it for yourself? And so that's how you have to really separate it. And all these people that are like, oh, I'm a content creator, et cetera, et cetera. They are totally creating for other people. And you watch how they navigate. Like, please go like my last post. Like, it really helps me when you like this. It's cringy, right? But it's because it's, it's, they're doing it for an audience. Like, it's not because they're confident and validated by themselves. It's because they want the outside validation to confirm what they want to think about themselves. Yeah, there's a great David Bowie quote about 
when he stopped creating for himself and started to make what the audience wanted, it didn't go well. And when he did what was fun for him, the side effect was that people liked it. And I, I always try to keep that in my mind of, you know, when no one's, when I did like, when I don't think about the audience and I make work, it's, he, I think it, he called it making selfish work. Yeah. It's inevitably better. But it's also really scary, yeah. especially when your bottom line depends on it. Like I've done the last year over, we should just catch up on the last year too. Yeah. Over the last year, I've been on a few panels and the biggest thing is they're like, we'd love for you to talk about authenticity. And I'm like, man, that's a, oh, that word. We hear it all the time. But I think the minute you have to ask somebody how to be authentic, like you've lost it. Like you've lost it. You don't know yourself. Like, you, okay, how do, how do you be you? That's really what it boils down to. So how do you? How do you? Well, you get a journal. That is part of it. But I think you just have to get, you have to let go of all the noise and think like if nothing else mattered in this moment or I didn't have any could, should, woulds around me, what would I do? What do I like? You know, what do I really want? And like trusting yourself in those moments, like doing that one scary thing where it's like, okay, I don't, I don't want to eat this for lunch today. You know, I want to do that today or I want to do this. And then you learn to trust like intuitively who you are. Then you form this bigger, broader space of confidence. Like that's how confidence is built, right? It's from taking little risky situations. It's like raising your hand, the whole thing with confidence and girls and raising their hands. It's like the minute you raise your hand and like say you get it wrong and nothing dreadful happens, you start building your confidence. Like you're like, okay, you know, that like gave me five pounds of strength. Okay, I do it again. 10 more pounds of strength. Like you just start building it. So I think you just through the process of doing things that might scare you, but still feel like you is how you start to become like the most authentic, confident version of yourself. So it's just a process. You, to me, are someone who's very confident and has, Thanks. and I'm sure have, you know, built that muscle. Yeah, it took a long time. It took a long time to get here. We talked about on the last podcast yeah. about the eating, like I had a terrible eating disorder. Yeah. Which, you know, we can get back into, but I, I get, well, catch us up. Like where does that ever, you know, for me, it's something that my eating and food stuff is up and down and up and down. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you've gotten more to a, a steady place. Do you still have moments of having to, you know, remind yourself of that alignment that you've had with it or are, do you feel like you're still in? That's the thing. I, my eating disorder, I'll just clue you guys in. I had a terrible eating disorder when I was in high school. And I say terrible because eating disorders are quite life-threatening. They can also have really long-term physical implications like your reproductive system and your and bones, mental. mental. There's a lot of things where people, even if you start, if you look healthy and you are healthy, your body internally might have, there might be a lot of damage that has been done. Like they're much more serious than people think. They're also, I think they're one of the, like, in terms of the addiction space or one of the leading causes of like death. death. Yeah, 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 and, yeah. Of, and, and to, mental just, health are the yeah, leading cause. Yeah, I just yeah, read exactly. that today too. Yeah, so super intense. And I was about 15 or 16 years old and I went inpatient for I think 52 days or something, came back. It was just a whirlwind. By that point, I was done with high school. I'm like, oh, you don't know the world, all of you children. And they're my age, they're my peers. But it, I had just moved to a different place mentally. I think when you see all that, I was at an all addictions clinic. So I was seeing things and hearing stories that I, I didn't even know this stuff existed outside of movies, right? Like I didn't, I didn't know that people did things for drugs. Like I had no idea. I really had no idea. But you come out with this whole new knowledge and this whole kind of awareness of there's this whole world that exists that I didn't know anything about. But came around, got healthy. And I, I do believe in full recovery. The only things I notice now don't have to do with like body or shape or food, but like I'll remember weird things I would do and like, oh, that was, that's such a like dysfunctional way to 
like think about the world. Like I remember who that person was because like I I wrote something about an eating disorder and yoga, and I think my body might be one of your questions. But it's like talking about a stranger. Like that that girl was like a stranger, but I was. And I probably had probably had like body dysmorphic disorder too, because I look back at old photos, like even when I was quote unquote healthy and like had been out of my eating disorder for probably five or six years, and I'm like, I was still so small. Like, like how oh, just you have I had no concept though, because I was so in my head the whole time. So going back to confidence though, now yeah. unrelated to food or in yeah. body or related, just you seem like someone who's really confident in themselves and knows what they want, decisive, which is like the most magnetic quality to me as someone who's so indecisive. Do you always feel that way? And I think I asked you this last time as well, but I'm curious when you're feeling off, how do you pivot Mm -hmm. back? Yeah. What do you do when you have a bad day? Yeah. I actually, we can talk about one bad day I had not too terribly long. Well, it was probably a few months ago, but like I found some old forum on the internet from like 2014. It was basically men discussing all sorts of terrible things they wanted to do to me. And I had like this major like shame moment where I was like, I wrote in my journal, I was like, I'm 32 years old. Shit, I'm 33. I'm 33 years old. And like these idiots from 2014 are making me feel so bad. And it was all these internalized, like I have sexual trauma as well in my past. And it's like, I had internalized all the things that I, because that's what makes us feel bad is the things we don't want to believe about ourselves. We suddenly think, oh my God, it's true. And it's just, I had such a terrible moment. I mean, I picked myself back up and got it together because I have a toolbox, but- Let's get into that toolbox. It was what tough. you do? But we can, we can also talk about confidence too, like where well, it came from. We'll start that with that toolbox. Moment. What were some of the things in your toolbox that you um, used to get you out You feel out of that? your feelings. That's the other thing. I, I judged my feelings a lot for a long time. Like I shouldn't feel this way. I'm too strong to feel this way. I, I can't. I've done too much work to feel this way. All those could and shouldn't with their feelings. And it's like, don't judge them. Just let them be. So I had to just feel it. Like, what am I feeling? Is it shame? Is it this? Is it that? And then going back to like more affirmations and reminding myself that that stuff's like not real, you know, like that's not me. That's not who I am. I have incredible relationships. You know, I've done all these things I want to do. And then also challenging myself in the sense of like, but what if it was, would that be so terrible? Cause that's really the thing. Like if all the terrible things they said about me, what if they all were true? Fuck it. You know, like what it, like what if, what if, because it's like the minute you say, well, I'm not those things. It's like you almost let them win on some subconscious level because you're going to constantly be trying to not be that thing when it's like, fuck it, maybe I am. It's so true. Today I had an interesting experience where something I was dreading and so thought would be so terrible felt like it was happening. And I was like, you know what? This might just happen. And I just have to like, I can either resist it or I can just be like, well, this is the thing that's happening. And maybe my business will change and maybe Mm -hmm. these people will change and it's okay. And it's going to be okay. And I can't control everything. So I think when you just like lean into the unknown and the Mm -hmm. like, like there's an exercise that someone gave me once to like write out your worst case scenario. Has anyone done that? And it's so liberating because you're just like, well, that no longer has power over me. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. It doesn't have power anymore. 
And I think once terrible shit happens, you're like, hey, I can't really get much worse totally. than this. Like, huh. I've seen, you know, it's like you have a different type of gratitude when like you've seen some really dark things, you know, when you're like, I've been at a bottom. I've yeah. had some really dark times and it makes you so much more appreciative of when things are even moderately good. Yeah. Not even great, guys. Just like even keel. Like, yeah. Right in the middle. Not hot or cold. Just lukewarm is fine. That has been my winter. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I feel like, and there's there's richness there because it's like when you have the the low lows make the the highs higher, you know? And yeah. there's contrast. I think we're like here yeah. to experience contrast. And I mean, I talk about it with my audience a lot where I'm like, you know, joy and pleasure and sorrow and grief are all waves on the same ocean, mm. right? And we're, we've just got to ride the waves. And yeah. some of the waves are longer than others. Some are higher, some are more calm, but they're all waves on the same ocean. Like grief is going to come the same way that joy comes. You know, yeah. they're both going to exist. Mm. What about trauma and heartbreak? What's helped you when you've gone through something hard? Wow, that is, like, that is so close at hand. I think heartbreak is like a special kind of pain. Let's get into it. I know, what right? Helps, what helps with that? It, once again, you just have to feel it. Like I'm not afraid to love because I'm not afraid to hurt. Like mm-hmm. I almost know that like I can get destroyed if I put myself out there, but I'm willing to be destroyed because I want to feel how good the love feels. Like I'm so hungry for like touching that, like touching God in a way, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that if you can really be vulnerable and really open yourself up to someone, like you have a chance at like touching that. And it's one of like life's gifts, right? Of being human. Like we only have so long on this in in our earthly bodies, right? And it's like, if you can touch what that like love feels like, oh my God, destroy me 15 times over if I got to feel it, you know? Mm -hmm. So that being said, like not being afraid to hurt is again, that whole process of like, you just have to like feel it and it doesn't make sense. And it comes in waves and what it's like grieving. It's like one minute you feel high, the next minute you're contemplating everything. The next minute you feel like fuck him, her, whoever. And then you're like, oh, actually they weren't so bad. Like you just go back and forth. But I think like time is the great healer. And I know that's so cliche to say, but it's really true. It's just time. Like just and, and almost like checking in with yourself during that process, because you'll see like, oh, I feel different about this than I did five days ago or five weeks ago, or like had this happened a month ago, oh, I would not have been able to handle it or just, you know, and it's like, I don't know, those moments remind me I'm human. Like I cry a lot in public when I'm going through things. I just don't care. I really just do not give a fuck. Like if I'm going to cry, I'm going to cry. Yeah. I'm just just going to cry. And then I write about it and like, it just feels, it just feels like, oh man, I am such a human right now. And it's Okay. I mean, that's been my last three months has just been crying around New York City and uh, writing in my journal and talking to most of the people here at length about feelings. Yeah. (laughs) Feeling feelings. I've been talking about a lot in this podcast of like, it's kind of like snot, like you let it out. You got it. But then again, it comes. What is, how do you... I'm not going to make a joke about, is that the name behind your podcast? Was it snot related? It's not related. It's It's throw up related. It's poop related. It's (laughs) feelings related. Anything that you feel better once you release, right? Yes, you should. Because if you hold on to it, it, like that's the stuff that makes you sick and we hold it in our bodies. Exactly. That's the point of let it out. So are there any things that you do other than journaling to feel your feelings? Is it Therapies of talking with friends, like what? Uh, yeah, therapy what for sure. I've been in and out of therapy since I was in high school, but I got a new therapist the past year. 
I had found him on a podcast, actually. Go figure. Oh, great. And I thought he was really interesting. He practices a theory that I'm I, much more akin to in terms of what I like and what I think would be the most helpful for me. Much more grounded in like more relative topics, I think. What's in a the way. theory? Narrative theory, which ah. is more about making narratives versus like cognitive behavioral th- cool. therapy, et cetera. I don't know. I think most therapists are a blend of all of them, but I like just, I like just practice. But yeah, therapy for sure. Going back to readings and things mm-hmm. and books. And things that I know help me. I think journaling is super powerful. I know you're super pro journal over here. So much power and healing can come from journaling. But I also think you just have to, I isolate a lot sometimes. Mm. And I had to make a conscious effort to spend time with people that made me like feel as loved as I know I am supposed to be loved. You know, they remind you of like how, how good and wonderful you are. That's the kind of stuff you can't cut off, you know, especially when you're coming from a situation like heartbreak. Sometimes we don't feel so lovable. We don't feel so desired, et cetera. So then when you are around people who remind you of that, Mm. like you just, that's the kind of stuff you got to hold on to. And you have to, I had a doctor, like an actual doctor, doctor one time, and I was complaining about something and it was, I don't even know what I was talking about. And then I mentioned like, blah, 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 about this person I'm dealing with. And she said, you know, you need to get back to being good to you. Mm. And like it stuck with me, like, huh, how am I going to get back to being good to me? And that included like not having that relationship was part of being good to me was getting rid of that or letting it go, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I've been listening to a lot of Brene Brown today. So here's another quote. Did you her. watch her Netflix? I haven't yet. So good. Katie. I've heard. I know. I saw Come she, on. she spoke at the wing the other week. So I saw her speak about it in person Yeah, and she said that, I think she was actually quoting Maya Angelou who said, I never trust someone who says I love you who doesn't love themselves. Always beware of the person who is naked and gives you their shirt. And I was just like, ah, like that went right in, you know? Mm. And they were talking about this concept of just because this is kind of unrelated to that quote, I realized I just maybe wanted to say that quote, but they were saying how if someone couldn't love you, for how you were, it doesn't mean that no one can. It just means that that person didn't have the capacity, but that feeling of feeling unlovable mm. is still a feeling that could like lead to shame or could lead to, it could knock you off of your, your yeah, path. Yeah, so well, cause it goes into the whole space of like rejection, right? Rejection feels terrible. Betrayal feels terrible because we start internalizing it as like, well, shit, like what did I do to deserve this? What is wrong with me that this person felt like they would do this? Right. I remember asking someone like I needed an answer for something cause I had no closure and I got where I didn't even need closure. But when I was still in a very sensitive, tender moment, I was like, I need to know what happened because I want to know why someone that, you know, I loved would treat me that way. Like I needed to know. I'm like, because none of it makes sense. Like two plus two isn't making four here. Like this doesn't make any sense to me. But then I let it go. Because that's the other thing. You can't, the whole thing about love is like, you also can't love somebody into loving you back. Mm -hmm. There's no amount Mm -hmm. of our love that we can put out there that will get somebody to to love us how we want to be loved. And that's like a control issue. And that's the thing with anxiety. I think anxiety is so related to control. Like we want to control what people think of us. We want to control our bodies because we want to control what people think of us. We want to control our relationships because it's connected to what people think of us. Do you have issues with anxiety and control? Not, not really. But I think some of that also has to do with like this whole kind of idea of redemption in a sense. Mm -hmm. Like if I can just be this type of person and have this type of love and have this type of person love me, all the other shit I feel bad about will go away. Totally. Or all the things that I've done I'm not proud of will go away. 
like it will just wash my shame away or something. And that's not, that's not how it works. Yeah. Cause you got to do your own work. You talk about sustainable self-love and we yeah. talked about this in the, in the last episode. Can you talk about what's the difference between what that is and then what the difference between self-love and self-esteem is? Oh, wow. Yeah, man. That was, I was so big on that. I was working on a book at the time. Yeah. Are you still? I mean, grad school kind of took over. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it's, we're, yeah, kind of. It's kind of like how to stop crowdsourcing your self esteem from social media, which will be a fun topic. But yeah, I mean, so the whole thing with sustainable self love is like self love became such a thing, right? A major hashtag the last, like, there's probably so much merch right now that says self love. It's a similar way to wellness. You can get a lot of merch. You can get, it's like, it's like tote bag self love at this point. But it's, Ah, man. Sustainable self-love is kind of the idea that like you're you're okay with yourself even when you don't love yourself. Like you don't even like yourself, but you're like, I still, I still fuck with me. Like I'm still good on me. I just don't like me today. Which is inevitable with once again, it's this whole like course of being a human. It's like you're gonna have good days and you're gonna have bad days. And it's like, how can you still maintain and not let, say, like social media knock you off your shit or not let people's comments knock you down? Like, how can you not let them not let them knock you down on the days that you don't feel so good? Because it's going to happen. One of my very dear friends, someone in the audience here, Carolina, cough, cough, told me about relationships that they're constantly, she gave me this very good advice, each person giving the other person passes and taking turns. And I feel like we have to give ourselves passes in the relationship Mm. with ourselves of like, some days you're going to get all the things done on your to-do list. Some days you're not. But if I hate myself because I didn't get my shit done or... I don't, I have a pimple or whatever. That's really damaging for like me being able to be okay tomorrow, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you can, you can get in a downward spiral the same way you can get on like an upward climb. And I think like now, once I started, this is going to be kind of, we're going to, we're going to get back to this, but like I have super depressive cycles, especially with the weather during the winter. I used to get really super depressed, but I started taking really good prebiotics and probiotics and my mood has just improved phenomenally, oh, which great. I'm like super fascinated now with like the gut brain biome connection because it's huge. It's not studied too terribly much, but there is some research on it. So that connection, but now it's to a point where it's like the work I'm doing feels even better. Like affirmations always felt nice, but now that I'm not in such a depressive like mindset works even more. Great. Yeah. So I think it's like having that self-compassion to know that some days are still going to suck, but getting to a point where like things just either a downward spiral or they just start, they continue to build and climb. And mm-hmm. it's like good, pretty blocks on top of each other until yeah. you've built a nice castle that says, I love me. Fuck y'all. That's what it says. When you're really down, when you're in one of those spirals yeah. and you're, when you've been at a low, what's helped you? Have you taken medication? Have you, what are, what are some of your tools? I was medicated years ago. I took Wellbutrin for, I think three years and didn't notice... Not to say I didn't notice too terribly much, but it wasn't for me. But I do think medication works for some people. So once again, from the mental health standpoint. It can work for a period of time. Yeah. You can come on and off of these things. And if you have a really good doctor who can help you with it, go for it. I don't think that there's better or less than in certain categories. It's just whatever works for you. And then now I, I make sure I take all my supplements, which is big. Um, I got a mood light 
which is like actually a light you sit in front of. It's ridiculous. Oh, I have Katie, one of those. seriously. I haven't used it's it like in you years. sit this close to it and you just like yeah, yeah, stare yeah. at it. I actually, I literally have one. It might be in Michigan, but I should Usually use it'd be that. like four, 3 p.m. because it gets dark here at yeah. 3 p.m. It'd be like 3 p.m. on like a Tuesday and I would be sitting next to my light. Like, that's no wonder I had such an emotionally bloody winter. I forgot to use my fucking get light. The light, man. Get the light. <laughs> I literally It's have. the light. But no, the light making Sponsored time. by. I know, right? What is it? I know. I won't even drop the name. Yeah. Can't plug right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, just little things like making time for my friends. I spent so much money on travel this past year, but it was to see people I loved. It was like, I'm going to prioritize seeing people I care about that just does something for your spirit. Like it just does something for your heart to really value those types of experiences. Yeah. So that... Journaling, therapy, eating good food, doing shit I like, even if nobody else likes it. Mm. That stuff. What do you mean by that? Like you just have to do things, not because they even fall into like a space of wellness. Like, I don't know. It's those moments where I'm like, I'm glad I'm an adult. Like one night I just wanted chicken tenders so bad. There's a spot I like way on the east side. I live on the west side. And I got in an Uber at like 10 p.m. I was like, I'm going to get damn chicken tenders. And I I did it. And it's like, but I wanted to. And it made me feel good. I don't do it every night, but it's like... Why not? Those are the moments. Yeah. And sometimes little things can mean so much. Like I bought this robe, this like Turkish towel linen robe. And I'm like, I feel so luxurious. Yeah. Like there's just little things. And that also falls. I recently wrote a blog about this because I know like the whole materialism, like all we don't need all the things, but we need the stuff inside. But man, sometimes little things make you feel real good. Yeah. You know, and they just make you feel so much better about yourself, like a new eye cream. Yeah, it's like we're we're worldly people. We're in Taurus season. I'm a Taurus myself. And I think we have to like lean into our humanness sometimes and lean into our Yeah. It's it's and it's minimal minimalism again, love it as much as the next guy, but every, we need these like the tactical things. It just makes too. you feel good and I just don't yeah. have any shame about it. I don't. And I know it's like not even trendy, like in my quote unquote wellness space to be that way, but I'm like, fuck it. You want it? Get it. Yes. Get it. Well, you also wrote about how you like me are an anxious person and minimalism helped you with your anxiety. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. If there's clutter, I like, oh my God, I just feel like my blood pressure go up. Yeah. (sighs) Yeah. I walk in some places and I'm like, okay, there's a lot of stuff here. Yeah. I like things really calm and simple, which keeps me feeling calm on the inside. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about transitions and change. You have transitions and changes happening in your life. I do. I have. We all do, no matter what phase of life that we're in. So what are things that like ground you during big change in your life? How do you like mental health wise stay aligned? Well, change is inevitable, right? No matter what, whether it's change we select or not, it's inevitable. I think it's more upsetting or not upsetting, more unsettling maybe when it's not, when it's not change that we pick, right? Like leaving a job, it's like exciting and you're on a high, but being fired is really not on a high. It's more so on a low and you're scattered and don't know what's going on. So I think because right now I'm in a, in a place where most of the choices I'm making myself, which feels very empowered and empowering and powerful and all these things. But how am I preparing for it is being really intuitive with how I feel about the process and like honoring it because I know a bunch of different thoughts and feelings are going to come up as I move through these things. And just being aware that like it might, you, you never know what mm-hmm. it's going to happen on different things, not to give away terribly much of what's going on with me right now, but. 
I'm looking forward to it. I'll say that. I'm excited for you too. Thanks. I'll say that. I know this is the most um, ominous thing. Maybe very we can vague. like maybe we can like secret very just vague. the studio we'll tell audience you all right afterwards. Yeah, and not off the mic. Okay, we're gonna open it up to everyone else to ask questions in a second. But first, we're gonna do the quick fire questions. Oh, I like quick fire. Yeah, I got fresh ones for you. Do you? I know you like them. Yeah, I, do. I really okay. like them. I'm like, come on, quick fire now. Best thing you've eaten in the last week, other than the chicken tenders. Oh, uh, you can't tell. Oh, no. Southern food. When I was in Mississippi. You're going to say that. Yo, man. What I would do for some collard greens. That might also be your answer to this next question. But what is your last meal food? Like the last thing I ate? No, no, no. Last meal. Like you're going to die. Like last I actually had to get this. I did a lot of food um, psychology and food anthropology when I was at Vassar because uh-huh. I was in food writing a lifetime ago, guys. But we had a food anthropology class where we had to talk about, we studied last meals and like there's massive books and art installations and all these things about like inmates last meals, which is still such an odd thing. Like we're ending your life, but we offer this last little snippet of humanity. Like, what do you want to eat? Like, what what are we? (sighs) So it's always really fascinating from like a psychology anthropology standpoint, why we do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting to see what people decide because some of them, you know, we think everybody's going to go some wild gluttonous, you know, this is my last hurrah on earth. And other people make more of a a statement with it, be it political or social or cultural. Like they just make a statement with it. It's Mm -hmm. very different, but I just want toast. Tons of toast. Oh, I love toast. Crunchy toast though. Not that bum, not toasted toast, y'all. I want like some texture. Yeah. A lot of toast. a little bit burnt? Yeah. Yeah, I have to run things through toasters twice. Yeah, same. On the highest Yes. Like I don't really care for bread, but I like toast. Yeah. I like like the crust. Same. Me too. Bread. I was just talking to Carolina again that I like bread over, what was I saying? Over the pasta for sure, but over even I think crunch fries, which I know is controversial to you and probably several other people in this room. French fries are amazing if they're crispy. Yes. Agree. I'm, yeah. I'm, I was like picking the crispy ones out of mm-hmm. our, our French fries. Yeah, so I want a ton of toast, but it has to have like a lot of jam. I love jam too. I think I only eat toast to get the jam to my mouth. Yeah. I think I it's just a vehicle. Spoon, it is just a yeah. vehicle to get it to my face. I put like scoops of jam on my yogurt recently. Yeah. It, yeah. That's delicious too. Mm-hmm. I'll be at, like breakfast is also my favorite meal. If you love me, like we will eat breakfast together because I have an egg problem. I eat so many eggs. I love them. I'll cook you eggs if Great. you'd like eggs. Yeah, yeah. I'll mm-hmm. come over. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like they'll bring one container of jam and I'm like, this is not going to work. Yeah. I, I need like at least like five. And they're like, well, you, are you meeting someone? And I'm like, that's yeah, just me. Have you been to the jam store in Paris? There's a jam store in Paris? Oh, yes. Okay, I'll come Juliana through. told me about it. It's, what's it called? We're not going to be able to pronounce it correctly. <laughs> we'll get her a mic later. That works. It's lovely. It. And you can, I had so many, I ate my weight in jam. So I had all of the samples and there's these small little spoons. And I was a bit worried that I was going for cross-contamination because I was like, does everyone remember to get a new spoon <laughs> after? But then Juliana was like, well, I think they're just magical spoons and they cleanse themselves. Okay. We're going to pivot on into the next question. I know. As, we're, as you're like, just completely we're just your fully hanging out. For like, yeah. Okay. Favorite place in New York. Favorite place in New York. Across between my apartment. It's very cozy and lovely. You're right. It's like a little oasis, yeah. right? And anytime I'm walking like through the park or something when it's all green and beautiful and huge and you can see the west side mm-hmm. and the east side. And I just think, oh, like I was a little girl in Mississippi at one point who said, I'm going to live here. 
Yeah. Like I said that. I said, I'm going to live here and I'm going to be on a billboard. And I did that. Come on. 1996 manifesting. Here we are. But yeah. Yeah. That's what I said. So it's like, it just reminds me of like life in a Mm -hmm. way. Where's your favorite place you visited in the past year? In the past year, where did I go? I went back to London, which was beautiful. Oh, I recently went to Cabo. That was gorgeous. There was a piece in Cabo that I, I, I don't, I just didn't know. Like, they, like you can just get there and exhale. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's different for everybody. So maybe Cabo is not your spot, but there's certain places on earth where you'll land there and go, oh, like my soul can mm-hmm. rest here. And I yeah. don't know if that's some past life. I don't know if it's energy. I don't know. But Cabo felt very grounding. Cool. Yeah. And uh, Zanzibar, but that was more than a year ago. Cool. How do you handle overwhelm when you feel like a lot's coming at you? How do you how do you pivot or organization tips? I take a deep breath first off. And then like I get rid of as many overlapping variables as I can in that very moment. Like I'm super sensitive to like there's like H, what is it? Hypersensitive something. It has to do with like sensory overload. So like if a TV's on, someone's talking, I can hear people outside, there's a noise in my apartment, and like I hear other noises, like it's too much at one time for me. Like I cannot think. Mm -hmm. So I try to just minimize as much as possible. I'll turn my music off. I'll try to go somewhere where I can have a little quiet. There's less moving parts, maybe less colors, less sounds, less smells, anything. Turn TVs off. Just take a moment and like try to find some some semblance of calm and quiet and stillness. Yeah. And then take a moment and then I can regroup. What are your productivity? Do you have any productivity or creativity tips? What helps you there? I should probably be way more productive than I am, but my peace and my sanity is it's like worth way more to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that has to do with how anxious and crazy I felt when I had an eating disorder and how close I think I came to death in a way. Like my heart really wasn't working. Like I'd go to sleep, not know if I was going to wake up. But when I finally realized like, man, I was wasting so much time, like ruminating about all sorts of things. Like, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it. And I have thought that in so many experiences, like, why am I rushing to get to this place? Like if I'm five minutes away, is it, it's just not worth it. Like my sanity is just not worth it. Mm -hmm. Like this job is incredible. It does all these things, but like, am I going to feel like a crazy person? Like, am I not going to feel like the best me? Well, then it's just not worth it. It's just not. Yeah. You know? So I think I, I, I look at a lot of things that way. Do you have any morning or evening or daily routines that you do consistently that help you? I drink tea every morning, no matter where I am. What kind of tea are we working with? Oh, English with? breakfast tea, mm. of course. And there's something very ritualistic about tea, about like mm-hmm. steeping it, pouring it. It's like a hug for your insides. Yeah. It's just very much like a ritual. And I do that no matter where I am in the world. And I always try to have actual breakfast, no matter what time of the day it is. That's mm, big. I like that. Yeah. But other than that, that's... that's you love skincare and hair care. Any tips, I go-tos? do. I love glowing. it. We can talk about all the different products if you guys want to. I'm just... I just you can find up with it. Instagram, but is it anything today that you want to recommend? If you could do one Ooh. thing, one like Desert Island. Man, hair is this avocado sleeping mask. Totally not sponsored from them, but I love it. For skin or hair? It's for your skin. Uh-huh. And what you do is after you've put on like all your, your stuff, like I also found a really good eye cream recently. That's amazing. I'll tell you guys about. So you put on all your stuff and then I use like, um, 
it's like um like a vitamin C serum. It's basically like it's like a natural retinol. Do okay. that. Do like a layer of oils, a different layer of oils, and then you put the sleeping mask on top of it. It's not like a thick mask. I used to think like sleeping masks were like legitimate, like painting your face mask, but they're not. It's just like a really heavy night cream almost. And you just wake up and you're like, my skin is so soft and supple. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's to the point I travel with it. I love that. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite way to spend your birthday? My birthday? Oh my God. Traveling for sure. And like with somebody I love, if that's possible. But if not traveling. Like and then that. doing shit that I like. Like, like you, you guys are probably like, man, she loves herself a lot. Which is great. But you should. Because, yeah. you know what? No one's going to love me as much as I love me. So, I, <laughs> yeah. I hope that you're contagious. Yeah. So, on my birthday, I just do shit I want. Like, I'll drink like eight cups of tea. And I'm like, I'm going to be up all night. But that's what I wanted. Great. You know, like, I want breakfast for dinner. I'll do it. Like, I just yeah. think your birthday is a time to kind of relish in like what you like. Maybe you only like to wear, I don't know, navy blue. And you feel like you can't wear it every day because people will be like, why do you have an all navy blue? Well, then fuck it. It's your birthday. Wear all navy blue. You know, seriously, you want to eat jam out of the container? You want burnt toast? Have all the burnt toast you want. Like, I just think it's a day to like relish in being you, whatever that that is, unapologetically. And maybe that will just ripple over into the rest of your life and year. Mm, But yeah, that's what I do on birthdays. Great. That's what I'm going to do tomorrow. As long as you're not hurting people by, I mean, let's, let's just make a little, right. little carry right. up there. Like, yes, Unless being your yourself is wonderful. Is, yeah. But if like, if your favorite thing is being mean to people, then you might want to look at that. Yeah, exactly. All right. Yeah. I've, I've had my fill of questions. Can you guys help me out? Anybody else have a question for Claire? Kelly's going to bring a mic around. Anything about anything? Anyone want to let out their feelings? Anyone? Uh, Mental health. We know each other. I've got a question for you. Oh, yes. God, yes. So it was kind of interesting to me that you and I know each other from, uh, I guess, what I would call a different life. And as you all know, if you look back five years or 10 years, looking at your older self or your younger self, I should say, it's like, mm-hmm. it's interesting to look at that and how whatever the evolution or de-evolution is in certain aspects of your life. So for you, mm. What's the favorite thing that you've let go of in this evolution of yours? And what's something you're currently growing into? Oh, man, that's a good question. And I also think it's good to challenge people because what we knew each other back in like 2008 or something, right? When you first moved here, just from perspective, because that's what 10, 11 years ago now, like who were you in 2008, like this very time? Like who were you this time in 2009? But the thing I've let go of is like I look back and I'm like, there are times where, and it's interesting when you talked about being decisive are indecisive as well. It's like, I was so indecisive for so much of my adult life. And I was so worried about like, like kind of all or nothing thinking like this one decision, so much is resting on this decision. Or I'm so worried about what this person is going to think about me. Or for me, of course, it was a lot of like, I'm so worried about what this guy is going to think about me. And like trying to position myself to get the one thing I wanted, which was like love and connection. Right. So every decision I was making was around like, could this help get that or could it hurt it? And I was so worried. And like, I became so like, maybe self-conscious about decisions I was making and things I was doing and like what I should tell and what I wouldn't tell. So I think what I let go of was like this really kind of insecure girl who needed to just grow into this place of like being like truly unapologetic and realizing like if like the rest, like all the other stuff will come, you know, it's not about trying to manipulate it and control it, you know? You described me. <laughs> how did you get? How did you get over that? Was there a specific 
thing? Was it? Turned 33. No, it's, I, I think I just like, you work your way into the answers. And it's the same thing I used to say about yoga where people are like, oh, why do you think yoga is so great? And I'm like, yoga doesn't give you an answer in one, one class, right? But yoga gives you the space to process shit and like you work your way into the answer. And it's the idea that we're all, like we are all all knowing, right? Like we have all of our answers inside of us. We just have to let learn. it out. Yes, we have to let it out. We have to to bring them forth in some way. And it takes a lot of different journeys and paths. And I don't think it's ever a straight line to take that stuff out, but they're there. You just have to give them the space to kind of and nourish them and give them the space to come out on their own. So yeah, I just got to a point where I'm like, man, I'm not all the things I worried, I was worried that I was, right? And all the things I was trying to manipulate around. And a lot of that had to do with trauma work. Like I really had to get past a lot of like, Trauma will really, especially sexual trauma and being a space where you're sexualized and objectified will really like fuck up how you view yourself as a woman. And it will fuck up like all the things they told us that you should be confident about are the same things they judge us on. Like love your body, but don't show your body, but do show your body, but don't show it too much. But if you show it this way, you're that. But if you show it this way, you're that. Like it's so much shit. And there's so much like internalized misogyny that comes around like oh well you're not like other girls well so that means other girls suck like, like there's just so much internalized shit that it's like I finally with, had to let all of that go but I had to bring it up and process it and be really honest about thoughts or feelings I was having and then look at them and move from there but yeah it took doing doing the work in that sense and really coming to terms with that whole like what is the belief I have about myself that's so bothersome or I'm afraid to have or I'm afraid other people will have? What if it's true? What if it's not? And how can I process both spaces, you know, and make my peace yeah. with both spaces? So there's not a magic button you press or a pill you take. God I wish, it. man. I wish. Marie has a question. Thanks, Kelly. Good question. Yeah. <laughs> So I have this personal obsession with words and how words hold space for thoughts and ideas, how they can act as containers, and then how, especially with the era of the internet, words take on completely different life forms that Mm -hmm. are totally not what they were initially intended for. And we've talked about this, or you guys have talked about this today a little bit, but what's been a word or maybe a couple of words that encapsulate a concept that you're really digging into at this moment in your life? Like, what are you really interested in? Like, what are my big words right now? God, my big word for the last, like, I think like six months now has been like power, like power, not empowered, but power, actual power. What is powerful? What, what expresses power? How do we play with power? Like just that has been the word, you know? And doing things that make me feel powerful, et cetera. And then looking at things that make me feel not powerful. So that's been a big one. Do you have words? Yeah, I made some words of the year this year. I really like the word autonomous right Mm -hmm, now. mm -hmm. That's been my word of this year that I'm trying to lean into. Mm. But it can also feel kind of autonomous, but not lonely. Like being within myself, but also like, okay to do the thing that's kind of on you and like reach out and ask for help. And that's really tough. Yeah. It's tough. Like the balance between the two. And then I think the other word is probably magic, which is, it can be so cheesy, but like that's when I was talking about like love and concepts of like touching that, that space that like you can only get to if you really are vulnerable. And if you really let yourself be seen, I think that's like where magic exists, you know? Like, cause if you've touched that space, you're like, yeah, yeah, magic exists. 
But if you're living in this whole, like, I'm going to play it safe and I'm going to play by the rules and I'm only going to let parts of myself be seen that I want to be seen and I'm not going to take risk, you'll have a fine life, but you may not know that magic exists. And like magic, not necessarily being what we thought it was, but also something that like indescribable. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah, so those are my big words. They're actually both on my... I have like a little vision board I do all the time. I make it on like Google Docs, like so cool. But yeah, I put things on there that mean something to me. And like, those are big words that are on there. So yeah. If I'd have another word, it'd be tenderness. And I feel like you can't have the magic without being tender. Like this has been such a tender couple months for me. Mm. And I feel like that lends itself to the magic. Yeah. Vulnerability, essentially. I I I think tender is so good. I think it's nice to be tender. And Me sometimes too. we'll be more tender than others. So, tender Great brownie. question. Anything else? else? I'll talk about anything, guys. Anything. While we're bringing the, the mic over, recommendations for content. Like, what are you reading? What are you watching? What hmm. have you been listening to? Oh, man. I've been reading a bunch of, like, journals for grad school. Uh, there was a book called Hungry Ghost or something in the realm of Hungry Ghost that has to do with addiction that I found was really interesting, which I'm finishing that now. Um, of course, I think I'm rereading The Body Keeps Score. So if you guys haven't read it, that's a great one. Uh, there's a book about narcissistic personality disorder called Should I Stay or Should I Go by Dr. Romani, who I think is really fascinating. And like that word gets tossed around a lot. And I don't like when we throw pathology on something that may just be someone being an asshole. But I do think it's really fascinating, especially in the age of the internet and the time of the internet and people playing out all sorts of emotional wounds that they have from childhood. It's really interesting if you're interested in that kind of stuff. And then what, any other recommendation? TV, film, music, mm-hmm. podcast. I've made a playlist on Spotify that we can link for one of my classes recently that I really like. And then other than that, what else have I been listening to? A bunch of French music. My French is still terrible, but I still listen to the music like like I know what I'm talking about. And I just sing along, like have no clue, but I try. So yeah, I'll just, I'll send you the playlist. And other than that, not a lot of TV. I don't really watch TV. Cool. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I always say I'm not going to ask a question to myself. And then I'm like, here's a microphone. I love um, it. <laughs> but so with your recovery from an eating disorder, after you came out of treatment, mm-hmm. was there like, what were some of the things that you did to ensure that you were like keeping on that path and making sure that you didn't like slip back into your ways? And do you have yeah. any of those that you still? It was coming coming out was, it was like coming, it's like the twilight zone, right? Like I went from a space where um, I couldn't have contact with my family. We had to write feeling sheets. We had to ask permission for everything. We had to sing songs while we were in the bathroom. We had like, we weren't allowed to have, we had to ask for everything. Like there was, so I came back and it was like learning that I didn't have to ask to go, like, I didn't have to go, Hey, can I go to the living room? Like, I like you're just coming into a different, it's like from the twilight zone and you're coming back. So when I was first coming out, it was also a year and a half or two years before I went to college. So like things were really regimented. I just was really busy. I'd kept myself busy with different sorts of people who monitored nutrition, people who monitored this, monitored that. I had a massage therapist because I think touch therapy is like wildly healing, especially when you're not, you don't always have to talk to have healing, right? And I think human touch is really important and it's really powerful. So massage therapy helped a lot. 
Um, I started a super intense yoga practice, but everything was just monitored. And I think it wasn't until I got to college where I was able to kind of be like, I have, I don't really have anyone monitoring me. Like I have to do this for myself. And it was a course and kind of like doing things that were scary. Like, okay, what if I don't follow this today? Or, and I don't mean in a negative sense, like go do something disordered again, but don't in the sense of like, what if I don't, what if I sub out something I think would be more fun or enjoyable? And it's just learning to trust yourself and learning to trust life again. So it, it, it's a long process, but I think it just was, it took like trying things, you know, and that's what really got out of it. And then learning that like the world wasn't going to fall apart. Being healthy is actually really cool because then you feel good and you can do things. And when you're not obsessed and consumed with like the thoughts that we ruminate on when we have disordered eating patterns, you have so much time to do other things. You know, and I think I really valued that. And then, of course, always like having a therapist available if I need them or want to talk to them, having a serious journaling practice, you know, and then like, yoga helped a lot. Like, I think you, you've read this piece, but it's like about how yoga helped change my relationship with my body because yoga is this huge thing about getting out of your body. Like we're not a body anymore. It's more about what our body can do, not what it looks like. So I think that whole practice in itself was healing and kind of transformative from an eating disorder standpoint for sure. Yeah. Is that it? Can I make a yes, please. So you mentioned uh, the question to her regarding what content was on her, like suggested content. And uh, one of the things that I've been thinking about lately is because we're such a content heavy society all the time, no matter what we're doing, it's just whether it's advertising, Facebook streams, Instagram, reading, audio, you know, books in our ear, music. Mm. It's like nonstop. And I actually recently... I don't want to say cut content out, but I've provided myself periods of time, especially like on the way to and from the city for work or just all the times that I normally would have like an audiobook in. I'd always have an audiobook playing while I was going to sleep, always have music playing. The second I stopped doing it within about two days, I started falling asleep in about six minutes because I realized that with giving my mind this space where it was not digesting content and having nothing specifically to do. Even meditation is something to do. None of that. Just having time where my mind could do whatever it needed to do, it actually gave it the space to work out and think through stuff that I otherwise wouldn't have had time to do. And it literally un entirely unclogged my, my mental and emotional drainage pipe, which I didn't realize was clogged. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to really understand that we need that time for our mind to not be digesting something so it can go whichever direction it needs. You allowed yourself boredom, which we've like, you know, essentially removed from our culture now because we have a device that can occupy us at any time yeah. of day. I know. It's like when people are like, what do you do to like, you know, when you're in your spare time? And I'm like, nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. I lay there. I lay there. I lay there Cultivated and I stare leisure. At, yeah. I stare at my ceiling. It's carefree timelessness. It's the best the best. I need to do more of that. Yeah. I'm constantly filling my time because I think I'm a, like, have this subconscious, like afraid of being alone mm. with myself. It's like the other day I was tweeting something about, um, you know, everyone's like, oh, sex sells, sex sells. And I'm like, no, fear sells. That's what sells. All advertising to some extent preys on our fears of like, we don't know enough. We need more tools. We need more this. If you want to heal, do that. If you want to be this, do that. Like it's, it's like you need all these these other things. And yes, I do think things feel good. Okay. We've covered that. But I think it's, once again, it's that there, there seems like there's a fear behind that. Like when you feel like I can't do enough, it's like, what is, what would happen if you didn't do enough? You know, like the, these are the questions. Yeah. Like I, 
for me, it's like, well, would I be accepted and loved because I'm not pretty enough or I'm not smart enough, but I can, I can control how productive I am. I can control yeah. how- We try to take control of the things yeah. that we can control, yeah. But the thing is, you're enough. We're all enough. Yeah, and it's like know, you got to believe that. Therapist over here, but it's true. It's really true. You're worthy. Even at your most fucked up, you're worthy. Yeah. And I know that's like a big, we forget that sometimes, that like just by existing, we're worthy. And all day long, advertising and the media and images are telling yeah. us that we're not, you know, yeah. and the diet industry and wellness mm-hmm. even. And yeah. I think we had another question. Yeah. Oh, hey. You had success with your Trill Yoga campaign. I did. Thanks. Kind of um, like translating, I should, I could say, the the tenets and the benefits of yoga towards people who may feel kind of blocked out by the dogma of it all or the mm-hmm. pretentiousness of it. What would you suggest for ways to do that in the general wellness space towards yeah. people as well, people, individuals, or even communities that yeah. would feel kind of blocked out? or underserved or by that information. It's very true. That's huge. It's huge. And especially in the mental health space, because a lot of, a lot of mental health, mental health, even from like a psychoanalytical standpoint was done on like white men, right? Like it's, it doesn't even cater to communities that probably need it in a way. So I think in that sense, you have to find people that are qualified and like they understand multiculturalism. Like they understand that people's values are going to be different. So the way wellness is done has to be different to some extent, but it's about also looking at anything you see within like wellness, even if the people doing it don't look like you or feel like you, you can still come to that or be like, you know what, we can make this what I want in a way, you know, like thinking maybe meditation's not for me. Well, it can be, you know, or these green juices aren't for me, or maybe these probiotics aren't for me, but they can be, you know? So I think it just takes someone saying like, fuck it, I'm going to go in a space that might not feel so comfortable now, which it doesn't like yoga, especially like different body types, men especially go to yoga and are like, man, I feel so out of place. Like I worked with athletes and they're like, I'm seven feet tall. Like I need three mats. Everybody looks at me funny, but it's like, if you get over that and you're like, you know what? I need the benefits of this and I have to let go of other people's shit because really that's, that's the shit. Other people bring their stuff to it. Right. Even in wellness, they bring their stuff and there's a bunch of projection and you almost just have to go like, I'm going to do this thing that's scary because I know it's going to be beneficial for me. And the more people who show up, it's like the wave changes, you know, like it starts to, it starts to change. So I think it's, how can we make these things relevant? You know, which I think means we need more voices. We need more people at the important tables and wellness spaces for sure, who can speak to these problems. Because I go to wellness events now and it's quite homogenous. A lot of them are super homogenous. They're one type of person. And I don't mean that just from like race or culture standpoint, but gender, socioeconomic status, all these sort of things. And so I think that the more, if we have more voices within wellness that speak to different places and different people, then we can start to have a much more like inclusive sort of wellness push that's going to hopefully translate and create ripple effects. So that's the kind of work I do. But I just, I hope that it goes in the direction we want to go in. Because wellness really is for everybody. It's like your human right. I mean, even the whole like you know, self-love thing. It's like, um, it's radical, but it didn't, self-love, it didn't start out. It's like manicures and facials, right? It started out as a radical movement of like, you, you're you basically government social, socio-political things are saying like, we're not worthy and we're going to take back being worthy because we deserve to take care of ourselves. So self-care is, I think, the, the big word that was actually started as more of a radical movement that had nothing to do with movies and Netflix. 
but everything to do with like the world tells you not to take care of yourself. And so we're going to do that. Anything else? Hello. Um, Hi. So I'm just wondering what are millennials doing right? Because as a young person, I'm always hearing about how the filters over our pictures are distorting the truth of our existence. And I experience a lot of ageism, although mm. I'm, I really feel overeducated and underpaid. So if you could just speak to the age gap in wellness. Millennials get such a bad rap. I'm on the, I'm like in the millennial cusp. I'm in there guys. I'm in there. (sighs) I think I am too. I know we both are. Even though you have a birthday tomorrow. I do. Happy birthday. You know what I think? Still a millennial though. I know. Still a millennial. You can't age out of it, can you? No, it's not how it works. I think millennials are wildly aware in a way like really aware of what's going on internally and externally. They're far more, I think, politically active. I think because of the internet, like earlier you were talking about how bad and detrimental the internet can be for mental health. And on some levels it can, but on other levels, I think like being able to see community or being able to see someone who feels like you, looks like you, maybe is the same orientation, you know, sexually, like that is so empowering. And like growing up in the South, right? Small town, et cetera. I can't imagine like, and I mean, I felt like an outsider and I don't have any, you know, like, like there's just not, I'm not in any sort of fringe spaces, you know? So I just can't imagine how empowering that would be like to have the internet now, to be able to see things and to go, okay, there's a whole world out there. There's a whole, there's a whole, there's people who like the things I like. I don't know. You want to run around and do LARPing? You have a community for that, you know? And it's like, But say you are the only person in your town who did that, you'd feel terribly alone, you know? So I think millennials have a a really good grasp on like building community in a sense and not standing by idly. I think probably millennials, this is completely non-scientific, but they may be more likely to speak up about things. They feel more empowered to speak up. What was the other one about translating wellness? I think they're much more likely to go to therapy. I do think though, having the internet, going back to the negative parts of it is they do live in a very, like we have super very superficial. You know, everything is for presentation and it's really tough when you're a young adult or an older teenager, et cetera, and you're trying to make your way and find your way of who you are and who you want to be and what's acceptable and what's not. And we're wildly self-conscious when we're younger, especially in our like early to mid twenties. And so it's like, the internet makes that really difficult. So I think on the one hand, they're so much more aware. And on the other hand, they may be hyper aware (laughs) in a negative sense. So just a follow-up question yeah. to that. I am an anchor baby from New Jersey. I grew up across four continents mm. and I came to New York for college when I was 18. And where my mother lives in Ghana, people have three phones so that they can access different networks, yeah. but they may live in a hut. And I just want to go back to the concept of multiculturalism Mm -hmm. and the internet and wellness, because I think it's also very contextual. Mm -hmm. Um, The internet in Africa is actually creating a revolution of wellness because for the first time you can get a degree online for free. And so I, I don't know if you have any experience or aspirations internationally for what international transnational wellness can look like. Um, I'm personally in the corner editing a video about my miscarriage that I had in January, mm-hmm. back to your you know, transparency with millennials. Yeah. Um, as a doula who hasn't been able to get hired because no one takes me seriously, mm-hmm. the only way in which I can you know, speak my truth is via 
the internet on iMovie because mm. I don't have money for, you know, to pay for, I don't know, Adobe marketing materials, like Instagram and Facebook and Pinterest, all these apps that are free mm -hmm. and we overuse here in the West um, when we could be doing more of this in person. I just want like in, in general balance on that and maybe how can we export some of these public platforms to places where they're actually life-saving. I that's 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 amazing. There's so many points I want to hit on on that. Like just incredible stuff. I'm in and out of London often and London also has a lot of connections to the rest of the world, be it Europe, etc. and there's a lot going on right now in the Middle East that I'm looking to do. But yeah, I think that's huge. And I do think the internet can be wildly powerful to see things and learn things and to have access that you never had before, especially in the wellness space. You know, and I do think it's an incredible tool to put yourself out there. I mean, that's what I built my business on. I don't know where I would be without the internet, honestly. I'd probably still be in journalism. Copy editing for weird groups. Kelly knows way too much about that. But yeah, I don't know where I would be, you know? So it's like, you can be exactly who you want to be on the internet. Like you can create the life you want to create, you know, which is super powerful. And I always think because I have like an audience, I have like a social responsibility to put out something of substance in an otherwise pretty void and vapid space. And I like to think that, because I, I get asked a lot, what's going to happen to social media in the next like three to 10 years? And I'm like, it's going to totally change, I think. And so I don't think you should put all your you know eggs in one basket, but I think it will totally change. And I think that the fluffy bullshit will kind of start to fall by the wayside because we'll want more. Like we crave more, like we're humans. We want, we want to be fed in some way. And I think we'll realize all that stuff is lying to us and making us feel worse, not better. So I think, you know, it's that whole idea of cream rises, like with dairy and milk, the cream rises to the top. Mm -hmm. So I think think the people who are doing like real work that are touching people that are continuing to do in real life events who are care more about the actual connections they make and not just communicating angle of social media that's what i think is really going to carry us into kind of the next generation and the next wave of wellness our well-being and i think it's also our right there's so much chaos in the world right now we really don't know what's happening from the ice caps to all sorts of other things there's really things that are just craziness going on but i think if we can Humans can band together and do some pretty amazing things if they'd get out of their own way. So I'd like, to, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm a humanist and I believe in like the good of people, despite how much bad there is right now. But I think that it's, it's going to come back around. Like goodness will come back and we'll have to, you know, be there for each other in that sense. So yeah, in terms of global wellness, absolutely. Because I think the, the West, like America has almost too much. You know, and it's to a point where it, we're all, we're going to be, people will be better served as a whole if we can go to other places as well, you know, or do the work on the internet and talk to different communities, you know? So good job. Keep it Thank up. Thank you so much. Do your thing. And a doula, that's amazing. Yeah. You're and so you have cool classes. Yeah. Great oh, outfit. Anybody else? Anybody else? How are, we, how are we on time? I have no idea. Who knows? It's tomorrow. I think, Yeah. Okay. Oh, we're good. That's perfect. Yeah. Does anybody else have anything else? Anything else? I'm delirious. <laughs> okay. Well, let's end all together. Thank you so much for doing this. You're so wonderful. Thanks. So I love to talk. Here. And thank you guys so much for coming, for leaving the house. I'm always amazed that anyone does it in, in New York City and anywhere, but thank you. We're going to end. And do you remember how we end? No, nope, I apparently didn't have an impression on you. Oh, okay. Does anyone here know how this podcast ends? 
No, I have a sprained ankle, Kelly. We can't. I'm not not doing that today. I don't know. Unclear. Oh no! You got to do the hop. I know. We're not. We're not doing from Saved by the Bell. No. Okay. Is that what you do? Dating myself on this one. No, the sprain. Yeah. Well, see, I don't even know. I can't even make references. I'm a bad millennial. We can find a. (sighs) But yeah, it's called the sprain, right? It's the hop, the sprain. Where what's her name? Turtle jumped around and it heals it. No, it's just a dance. All right. Well, never mind. I don't care unless it. Oh, all right. Well, maybe I can do that later if anyone wants to go dancing. Yeah. The way we end the podcast is with a deep breath. We let out a breath together. So we'll all do it together. Ready? So everyone sit up straight. Oh, shoulders back, guys. It's it reminds me of teaching. between your vertebrae. I haven't taught yoga in so long, but I remember the first time I taught yoga and I was like, everyone go to down dog and everyone did it. I was like, whoa, that's crazy. If I, I could say like, everyone take off your shirt and like they might do it. It's a very power. Have you, I was going to say, have you explored, uh, explored power dynamics for it's you? Like, very, it's very bizarre. Take your um, <laughs> Yeah, that was a weird thing to say. Okay. Inhale, everyone. And let it out. <sighs> Always feels a little better. Thank you so much. Nice. Thanks. Thanks for coming, guys. This was a delay. It really means so much that you came and I love you all so much. And thank you, Claire. And thank you, The Assemblage. And thank you, Kelly. This episode is supported by Cara Vitamins. I've been using Cara for years. I love them so much. Spring into a healthy routine with the winter blues coming to an end. It's finally time to get back into a routine that empowers you to feel your best. Give yourself the support you need this season with a little boost. Maybe you're looking for more energy or better sleep or to lessen your stress, something to help you feel better, to maybe give you some of those gaps in nutrition that you might have that supplements can be really useful for. With Care-of, you just go to their website, you take a brief quiz that asks you questions about your sleep and your poop and your stress. And from there, it curates a vitamin pack that's right for you. And it delivers them right to your door in beautiful packaging personalized with your name on it. They even have protein powder now that I've been loving. And I think you really will too. Check them out for 30% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins. Visit takecareof.com and enter the code KD30 at checkout. That's KD30, K-A-T ie 30 and again 30% off your first month of personalized care of vitamins visit takecareof.com and enter the code katie30 all right that was my episode with claire again i just can't get enough of her if you want more of her go listen to my first episode with her from about a year ago where we get into her story and her background and how she got to where she is and we talk a lot more about body image and eating disorders and yoga and we cover we cover a lot in that episode it's a it's a good one it's a long one it's a good one i really enjoyed getting to know her in that episode this one's more of an update of where she is now and where we both are now so if you want to go back and listen to that it's in the archive and we'll link to it in the show notes and if you've already listened to it maybe you want to listen to it again but onward now i'm talking to sarah my new friend who i really enjoy about ritual and slowing down and being someone who's a founder of a startup and really grounded and cool and works with her brother and really young who started this company and just a really cool woman. So 
Here's that conversation with Sarah, and I'll talk to you at the end with some likes and learns. I grew up in a really small town, like no traffic light. Wow. Uh, yeah, not too many kids around, but it was it was a really cool place to grow up. It was right on the water, but then also surrounded by farms. And a lot of the farms supplied some of the larger restaurants in Western Canada. So it was a really cool place to grow up. I took a lot of it for granted, I think, when I moved to a larger city and was getting $40 subscribed to organic produce box emails. And like, we used to pick this up on Sundays for like five yeah. That's where I grew up in a place called Machosen, which is on Vancouver Island off the coast of Vancouver, Canada. That sounds pretty magical. <laughs> Super magical. Sean, who's my co-founder and brother, I, we grew up building beach forts together and there was only one other kid that lived in the area. So we all became friends. It was kind of be friends or be really bored. Without any wow. So your co-founder is your brother? Yeah. Sean and I co-founded the company in 2014. Oh, I didn't realize that. So it's a really a family business. Very truly a family business. We get a lot of feedback from our parents as well when we come home for breaks or Easter or holidays. So it really is. And I think the energy of the office here, everyone on our team has been here since the beginning, really those key members. So it very much feels feels like a family company. Wow, that's so cool. So who's older and who's younger? Are you guys close in age? Yeah, so I am two years older than Sean. And I always smile when people ask who's older and younger, but I'm almost 30 now. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm taking all the, the age questions I can get. <laughs> yeah. Did you know you wanted to start a business together? Whose idea was it? And how did you get into Essential Oils? It really started as a, as a content site. It started as a passion project. Like I had, I didn't travel a lot growing up, but was always really curious about different cultures and places in the world. I convinced my dad to go to Morocco with me. I traveled to Kenya with the charity I was working with. And as much as I could understand different places and people, I went on to do a degree in global health, do a lot of courses in medical anthropology, and was fascinated by what we could learn from different cultures. And from there, I went on to medical school. And in my first year, we were learning about the 12 cranial nerves. So how you smell and how you see and how you taste and, and how you balance. And the first one is the olfactory nerve. And I just became fascinated with scent. And Sean had moved from our also small farming community also to Vancouver. And he was staying with me at the time. And uh, I said, wouldn't it be cool to have a collection of products that let you scent through the day? So it all started as a content site. It started with me writing articles about different cultures, different botanical practices. And then we started blending some of our own products. We started an interview series where we interviewed people about their daily rituals. And it was just, it was something we worked on from... 11 o'clock at night till two in the morning for about three years until we decided to see that it could be something a little bit bigger. Wow. That's so cool. What was the biggest thing you learned from interviewing so many people about daily rituals? I think that everyone is trying to perfect it. I think our society in, in some ways is craving consistency. So a lot of what I was hearing was I tried to do this or I'm working on implementing this or I think the more that you can create some structure and ebb and flow in how we think about our energy, the brain is inherently lazy. It likes things that are consistent. It, it can bypass a few stages and it's less tiring and taxing on it. So I think it's important to create those consistencies through a day and also through a season. A lot of cultures around the world, you know, they eat rice together every day or drink chai together and talk about the day or have ceremonies around different purgings of energies. So I think that 
the more you can create those rituals. And I saw people really craving that through the interviews we were doing and how that can translate kind of through product development. Mm, I love that. What are some of your rituals in your day as a founder and a busy person? Yeah, I try not to be too busy, but it, the days are pretty packed. My my days are relatively the same in the ways that I can control them. So I think it's really important to have the same breakfast every day. Just I think a lot about decision fatigue and the way that I'm showing up for our team and the way I'm showing up for people in my life is something I take really seriously. So I think a lot about how I'm fueling myself and taking care of myself and just creating those habits that you can kind of transform into wellness rituals. So for me, it's around front loading my day with things that I know set me up energetically well. I drink a ton of water in the morning, like a ridiculous amount. I know everyone says like, drink a glass of lemon water when you wake up. I try to drink a liter of water before I leave my house in the morning. And I think it's just a nice habit to have, especially because I travel usually about half the month. So it's really easy way to get dehydrated traveling on planes. So that's one. I usually have the same breakfast every morning, which keeps it really simple. And then um, my dog, Charlie and I, who is usually at the office with me, she's um, a great constant. So it's a nice excuse to leave the office and go for a walk at lunch. And then I usually try if I'm in Vancouver, I work out during my lunch hour. So I technically don't really have a lunch. So I just pretend that I'm taking a lunch and I, I go and fit a workout in. Most of the work that I do happens in the morning before I'm in the office or evening in the in the late at night after the office. So I try to create that kind of ritual in the middle of my day. I love that. So you mentioned you guys have a team that's mostly been with you from the beginning. How many people are on the team? It's about 18 people on the team. Some of the earliest people are were there when... Three years ago, we were packing and shipping every single order. We were hand-filling them. And now we have warehouses across the U.S. and fulfillment centers and customer experience teams. So I think it's, it's pretty special to have those few key people that have been there since the very beginning. We've obviously grown and expanded a lot over the last two years. But we have an amazing team. And Sean and I have intentionally wanted to create that family environment. So it's a small, but really high performance team. And that's the culture that we wanted to create at Patribute where we really take care of everyone. And everyone has a lot of autonomy around what they're designing and what they're creating. And I think at the end of the day, people just want to make things they're proud of. Yeah. Well, that's so cool. Speaking of what are you most proud of product wise and then of the company as a whole? Oh, the people in, in our team, I'm the most proud of. They are just the kindest people. Like I think I'm the most proud of being able to say I, that I work in an office with just truly kind, brilliant, interesting humans, which I think a lot of people can go a lifetime without having the privilege to say that. And mm-hmm. uh, it's an honor to work with them every day and see how everyone is taking this beast of a business that continues to grow like a snowball and bite off chunks of it and form it in a way that feels authentic to us. I think the second thing is just our customers. Our customers are are incredible. Like they are brilliant, discerning, sophisticated, smart women and designing products for them is a total honor and getting feedback from them. And I'm always just so excited when I hear that someone has our diffuser on their desk or that they've gifted a product to a friend that they think is awesome. And so that's the second. And I think the third would be our charity component. So a lot of the business was inspired by my trips to Kenya and working with women's cooperatives. And I truly am very, very, very passionate about women 
and how we think about self-care. So our mission at Vitruvia is helping women take care of themselves so they can take on the world. Part of that we try to do internally with how we're building a leadership team that's over 80% women. And now for every woman employed at Vitruvia, we also match that in Kenya and Uganda. Um, for each woman here, we sponsor a four-year university education, living books, tuition for, for women halfway around the world. So it's our pledge for helping to develop an authentic, amazing leadership locally as well as globally. Oh, that's so cool. Let's get into the weeds of your products a little bit because I love your diffuser so much. I love how chic it is and how it looks different than anything else out there. Honestly, I had a diffuser before this one and I hit it. I didn't want to use it because I didn't like how it looked. And this one I love and I'm like so proud of. Was that a specific design choice that I'm picking up on? Can you talk about your products? Yeah. A lot of it comes from the name Vitruvi, which is named after Paolo Marco Vitruvius, the very first Roman architect. And he believed that anything designed should have three principles, durability, functionality, and beauty. And that those three pieces we take very seriously. We often take sample products and throw them in bags and see if they stand up to wear and tear. And the third pillar of that, is it beautiful? I I think essential oils have really kind of lived in the medicine cabinets and under the shelves and drawers of people's bathrooms and kitchens. And we want to design products that women feel proud to have on their desk or on their bedside. So the diffuser is the first piece of that. We're designing new diffusers as well and always pushing the limit in terms of how something can look and that it can be that kind of iconic art piece, but in a way without using synthetic fragrances, um, like a traditional luxury candle. Mm, So cool. What are some of your favorite scents and ways that you use scent throughout your day? Oh yeah. I use a, a lot of different scents. And even here in the office, we think about it. We always have usually like grapefruit or peppermint in the morning, get everyone going, and then we'll kind of ease into something a little bit more grounding throughout the day. For me personally, I love geranium oil. And there's a few key scents that I travel with. So I always keep a geranium oil and a eucalyptus and a lavender oil in my carry-on bag. The geranium, I put a few drops in a hot face cloth and steam my face with it in the morning, regardless of where I am. It helps open up the pores and it's really clarifying. And then I use eucalyptus in the shower. So like five drops in, in your hand and rub it together. And then lavender I use as a blemish spot treatment in the evening. I also make my own face oil that has lavender in it. It has similar properties to tea tree, um, but it's a little more gentle on the skin. That's a good tip. It is, yeah. It's like lavender is amazing multi-use properties. And then in my diffuser, lately I've been doing, well, we're designing new blends right now. So I've been doing a lot of testing and kind of alchemy at home and in the office. But my go-to is bergamot and cedarwood mixed together in proportions of 10 and 10 drops is a really cool aroma. And then before going to sleep, I do lavender and eucalyptus again, which is easy to do at home and traveling. And one tip I have for kind of setting the stage for sleep and sleep hygiene is I'm using scent. It's an amazing, powerful tool. So one thing that I do that helps the brain kind of cue into time, time to wind down which is especially important for people that are up working late and I'm on email quite late. I'll go into the bedroom and set the diffusers up for the eight hour setting. And then I'll do 10 drops of eucalyptus and 10 drops of lavender oil and then shut the door. And during that hour, it like primes the bedroom and it smells beautiful in there. And so when you have 
brush your teeth and wash your face and you're done getting changed and everything then walking into the into the bedroom and having nothing else to do but sleep is a nice way to kind of set the stage i love that i love triggering that in the mind like a turn down service in your own yeah home. <laughs> yeah oh that's great that's really cool i'm all in has there been any moment that was like a pinch moment of your company I mean, so the whole thing, really, <laughs> to be honest, this is just a passion project. This is, you know, I quit my third year of medical school, went on a one-year leave to see what we could, could build. And that was about three and a half years ago and, and haven't looked back. And I think that when you have so much passion for something that you're doing it at one in the morning for three years, the opportunity to do that every day with people has been a pinch me moment. Really, truly, it sounds cliche, but like every day, like I still mm-hmm. wake up with the anxiety that I might have to go back to school, which I mean, they totally wouldn't take me at this point, but that's a huge honor. And then it was really exciting for us to be at the table for some of those larger conversations around wellness with some of the more major retailers in the US. So we're at the table when Nordstrom decided to do wellness. We're the first and only essential oil company offered at Sephora. We were early on with the team at Goop and designed a diffuser with Gwyneth and the team and worked really closely with them. So those pinch me moments are having the opportunity to be at the front of, of an industry and in the front of a movement. And it's an honor to see people talking about learning about synthetic fragrances, learning about what candles have been, learning about what has been in skincare and having a conversation around more plant-based and natural ingredients. Oh, that's so cool. I love it. Well, is there anything else that you would tell someone who's maybe just thinking about getting into essential oils or maybe wants to try using your products or is new to this? Yeah. Oh, so many things. I mean, the way that we think about it is we're here to help you explore. We have an incredible online publication with a brilliant editor-in-chief, Sarah um, Herwitz. She she manages that in Base Notes is, is the name of it. And we're always thinking about different recipes and interviews with incredible people and look for feedback on different ways people that are designing their own products. So that's a really fun avenue to learn more about essential oils and their and their uses. And then we truly listen to everyone. So if you have questions, you can text message us, you can email us, call us. We're, we're here to answer questions and, and help you explore. And the last thing I would say is you really can't mess it up. Mm. I think that in beauty for the last decades, we've you know been told what to do from, from companies and customers are so smart and um, you know a lot more than you think you, you do. And we're just here to help guide experimentation through beauty and wellness. I love that so much. Thank you so much for connecting with me and being part of Let It Out. And I'm going to go fill up my diffuser now and diffuse something lovely. This was so great. You're, you're really wonderful. And I think because it's a family business and because you're helping women around the world and giving back and have an eye for aesthetics and care, I think it makes the products better. And I think it makes, yeah, I'm just really grateful to work with companies that I genuinely love. And I think the products are better when the people behind them are so great and you seem really great. Oh, thank you. That, that means a lot. And I think that your community is great too. And congratulations on everything you've built. It's awesome to chat. Yes. I'm so, so happy that you are here. We always end with letting out a deep breath together. So this will be good to do. This would be even better to do with an essential oil, but we'll do it together right now. So inhale. 
and let it out. Ah, oh, that was great. Always feels a little bit better, right? How cool is Sarah? I love her and her company so much. Her essential oils are, they're just great. And I really love this diffuser. I like, I've been putting it right by my bed and I've been diffusing lavender and sweet orange. I don't know if that's a good combination or not, to be honest. You should probably do the ones she said, but that's what I've been doing. If you want to get a diffuser or get one as a gift, I think they would make great gifts. Use the code let it out to get 20% off your order. Again, that's let it out for 20% off. Their products are obviously great. And it's cool to know that this wonderful woman and her brother are the founders of this company and they treat their employees really well. And they have such a beautiful mission with their philanthropy in Ghana. And I just, I loved getting to know her and I hope you did too. Okay. On to likes and learns. So the one thing that I'm learning is how Oh, it's so annoying and simple, but true. And I always forget how important sleep is. I went through a phase years ago where I got very into sleep. <laughs> I did a sleep week on this podcast when I had a blog called The Wellness Wonderland. And I interviewed someone named Sean Stevenson, who also has a podcast, all about sleep. He wrote a book called Sleep Smarter and I blacked out my room and I was just like in it with sleep. And then I I just fell out of it. I just like stopped caring. I I just I would stay up really late and I was really happy and I was like doing all these different things and I was just like I had this whole joke at for a time with my ex-boyfriend of like I don't need sleep. It was just like a thing I would say and then I moved to New York and so much light pollution and just being out later and I just totally abandoned good sleep hygiene. And now I'm realizing, man, I guess I I guess I need to focus on that more. So, I've been using my Vertruvi diffuser right by my bed and I've been making more sleep rituals outside of just that. I put this oil on my face that I'm really liking and I have been reading before bed. So, my likes and learns are one of them is sleep, one of them is Getting a alarm clock that is not my phone. I bought this really fancy, like $9 battery operated piece of machinery that is just an alarm clock, which is nice. And that way I can turn my phone off. And I've been reading next to my salt lamp. And right now I'm reading a book my friend got me for my birthday. We actually recorded this episode the day before my birthday. And one of my presents was this book called Normal People by Sally Rooney. It's kind of everywhere. I think that's the the name. But she wrote another book called Conversations with Friends, which came out last year and, and people really love. So anyway, I just started it, but so far I really like it. And I'll tell you more. Maybe we can have a book club. But reading more fiction is something else I've been liking this month. So anyway, I hope you guys are having a great week. I will see you soon. The emoji for this week's episode is the telephone because the iTelephone. I'm not sure if we've used that before or not. Hopefully not. But we talk quite a bit about social media and boredom and getting off your phone. And I just mentioned it again right now. So it seems right. So tweet that at Bertruvi, at Sarah, 
at Claire, at myself, at The Assemblage. Let us know that you're still listening all the way to the end. Thank you if you're still listening right now. Leave a review on iTunes. That would be really cool. And sign up for my Let It Out letter. I send out a letter once a month. That's like a personal essay from me. Links around the web. And we're also sending out the show notes right to your inbox. If you want to get all of the links to everything that Claire talked about, like that light and the prebiotic and probiotic that she takes and the sleep mask that she wears and the books that she recommended. If you want to get in the books that I recommended, if you want to get that right to your inbox so you don't have to, you know, pull over the car and write it down every week, you can get an email that sends it right to you, plus some images and some other things. It's really nice and it's it's really beautiful email that we write. So if you want to be on that list, that'd be great. You can sign up just by, you know, clicking the show notes for this episode on your phone or wherever you're listening. If you have any questions, just let me know on Instagram. I'm at Katie Dalebout at Instagram. I'd love to talk to you there. And if not, I'll see you next week on the podcast. Bye.